The book of Daniel, the entire book of Daniel, uh, almost in, rather almost the entire book of Daniel is given to prophetic terms written some 700 years before the book of Revelation depicting multiple things. Now I, I don't presume to know everything about prophecy. In fact, as I've studied, I've recognized how much more there is to know. Maybe you are not aware of this, but let me just say it to you if you're not aware. I am given the task to preach the whole counsel of God. Think about that. That takes a lot of years to get through that. And so there's about 20% of the Bible given to prophecy or 27% of prophetic terms of the Bible is given to it. And so you couldn't preach the whole counsel of God and ignore prophecy. I have a few scriptures in your handout and I, I'd like to read them for you before I get into this um, subject of desensitization. And I, I didn't list all the scriptures that lend itself to this, but Isaiah chapter 6, he said, and this was the word to the prophet, Go tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed. You see, you won't understand, or you won't perceive. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, shut their eyes. Of course, this is not in the literal word of fat that you you and I would think of overweight, but it really is uh, almost the inability lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed because they, the people had drifted so far away from God that they had become cold towards the Lord and apathetic towards him. And so now the prophetic word was going to, give, was going to be given to the people, but they, but they were not going to be able to receive it. Can you imagine that you, would, you could get into this realm where your heart can become so cold and indifferent that you would not be able to understand the taught or preached word? Can you believe that people could come to church and be so indifferent through the cares of this life or carnality or lust or, or be given to the temporal aspects of life that when the word is being delivered, preached, or taught. You can't grasp it or receive it or understand it because you are so apathetic or are so indifferent to it. And this is really uh, a deep and most troubling subject in that we, we could go to church, hear the word, the life-changing word. It's, it's kind of like being able to give someone meat, but, but the person who receives the meat has the inability to smell it or to taste it because they've lost those senses. And there is a numbness today, a, a deep numbness to the things of God. I battle that every time I walk into this building. Because the numbness keeps us away from the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. 
There are an angelic presence. Angels in this house on a repeated basis. But sometimes we can become so inundated with life. We don't, we're not even aware of where God is or the angelic move that's happening. The Bible prescribes them as ministering spirits. And people have seen them here. <laughs> They've seen angelic hosts up here on this wall. There's been angels in this house. Can you imagine that that would be possible? Now, why would we not know that? Because the Bible says that the angels of the Lord encamp around about them that fear him and deliver them. The Bible already gave us the promise and declaration that it would happen. But, but if we are apathetic to the word, it's hard to grasp the spirit. Because if you're so full of flesh, you can't walk after the spirit. That's why Paul said, you cannot walk after the flesh and after the spirit. But if you walk after the spirit, you won't walk after the flesh. It almost seems like an, a simple deductive reasoning. It's either the spirit or the flesh. So here's the next verse, and I give it to you in NIV in Revelation 3.15. Jesus is speaking through John about one of the churches, the Laodicean church. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, you're, you're lukewarm. I wish you were either one or the other. Of course, some great scholars attribute that, that to gold, the crafting of gold. When gold is very, very hot, it can be molded, it can be poured into a mold. When gold is very cold, it can be beaten into submission to form. But when it's lukewarm, it's a sticky composite and it's difficult to pour. It can't be poured. It can't be beaten. If the hammer strikes the, the in-between lukewarm gold, the metal, it cannot be formed. It's got to be hot or cold. I don't believe that the Lord was saying, I'd rather you be in the church or out of the church. I don't think he was presenting the idea, I'd rather you be backslidden or serving me. I think he was presenting the idea, I'd rather you be formed this way or that way. But since you can't be formed at all, I'll spew you out of my mouth. This is the apathetic view. And finally, in Matthew 11, Jesus said, to whom... Can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. There, there was a response that was normal, but it was not executed. Think of it. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. All the people in the Bible, when they heard that it was true, they said, amen. That means so be it. But there's a growing group of people today, and it, this is not just normal to our day, but this was in the day of the Lord that, that there was a song to dance, but they were stoic. There was a time to cry, but they didn't cry. There was a time to worship, they didn't worship. There was a time to give, but they withheld. And when we are desensitized to the things of God, we have a tough time realizing the great impact and the world in which we live. So I would say to you, we're dealing with an apathetic generation today. And I do not speak of a worldly apathetic generation. I'm talking about the church. And I write the power of desensitization is profound among both believer and unbeliever. When we become accustomed to human tragedy, peril, blood, death, we lose our sensitivity. While centuries of prophetic preaching should have made us more aware of the soon coming of the Lord, it appears that the opposite has occurred. 
further complicating our sensitivity are the many false assumptions about the scripture. And I'm going to give a small, non-existent, non-exhaustive list of them. The first thing that, that keeps us desensitized is incorrect or misleading declarations. Here is the Lord. There is the Lord. This is a good thing. That's a good thing. There are small movements that come about every so often. I don't, if, you don't really have to know this. It doesn't really matter. Uh, in 1991, when I went to Russia with Steve Richardson and Mark Carruthers, um, I think it was that year we went and uh, we were leaving a, a hotel called the Prebaltiska. It was in Leningrad. It's a massive hotel. All the businessmen of the world meet there. The second floor of that Prebaltiska is an open bar. It's a very large restaurant and an open bar. Very wealthy businessmen frequent that bar and the beautiful prostitutes um, of Russia meet there to make their living with the businessmen of the world. One of those prostitutes was drinking. She took some drugs along the way and the drugs and the drinking caused her to convulse and she was thrown out of the pre-Baltiska. We were walking away and she was right behind us and she had vomited a couple of times. And a long flight of steps, uh, concrete steps from that, from that long corridor leading away from the hotel. And we just got on the bus and we saw her about to fall off. We ran up and one of the ministers that was with me he picked her up and she had, um, had vomited on herself and we had to clean ourselves up and we brought her to the bottom of those steps and we put her beside a little concrete wall there. We asked our interpreter what would happen. We wanted, to, we wanted to do something but the bridges would close and our flight left at one in the morning. The bridge was going to close at about 12.30. We would not make our flight and so what we did was we 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 wanted to do something for her and so we asked what can we do and there was nothing to do we asked our interpreter what would happen and she said that in that evening men would misuse her and beat her and at some juncture she would make her way back to the second floor of the pre-baltiska and when i left that place we drove away, I saw shadowy figures gather around that overdosed prostitute and I wrote the line, are you living where hope has not been, lost in a curse of a lifetime of sin, lovely illusions never come true, I know a place of mercy for you. A few months later, the three of us got together and wrote a song called Mercy Seat. And a small movement started to happen. And a little Assembly of God Church in Pensacola, Florida, Brownsville, Pensacola Revival, a little teenage girl got up and sang my song. And when she sang it, the power of God came in that house and people fell on the floor. And they all started to speak in tongues. And that started a four-year revival, 250,000 people frequented that revival from Wednesday to Sunday. They would line up for five hours to try to get into that revival, the Brownsville, Pensacola, Florida revival. 
it birthed, the pastor called us several times to come. I was always very, very busy. That was a movement. But after those four years were up and the song was well-worn after they had sung it for four years, every night from Wednesday to Sunday, mercy seat. And after it was recorded by multiple different artists, we were happy about that. It was good. But that revival died. It went away. It moved on. So did all the other major revivals. They came and they went. The plethora of people who rushed into churches after 9-11. Most churches could not hold them. It didn't matter what denomination that they were. People went in, but now today we have less people going to church than ever before. Thousands of churches per year are closing their doors. Go look it up. Thousands are closing their doors. And the reason why is because people are desensitized. Over here is a great revival. Over there is a great revival. The Lord's coming back this year or that year or in this month. And so people become desensitized after a while. They'll say, we've already seen that. We've already done that. And we can become accustomed to the powerful things of God. I tell you, whatever you can do, don't lose your first love. Pray that we would have a Holy Ghost service on Sunday. Seek God that somebody would also fall on the floor and cry to God uncontrollably. Don't ever lose the idea that the Lord's not coming back in your lifetime. Because the Bible says, at the hour that you think not, He's going to come. He's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't really have time to prepare. The second thing, you didn't really need to know my story, but it's one of them. I just thought I'd share it with you because it was a great movement, but the movement came and then it went. It comes and it goes. There's a high and a low. Even in churches, there's a high and there's a low. I'm concerned about, I'm not concerned about the top. I'm concerned about, I'm not concerned about getting to the top. I'm concerned that we never get to the top. I hope we never get to the top. I hope we always are an incline. I don't want to arrive at some thing here. I don't want to arrive at some point to say, hey, here we made it. I don't ever want to make it. I don't ever want to make it. I don't ever want to get satisfied where we are. I don't ever want to think this is good enough where we are. I don't ever want to get comfortable where we are. I don't ever want to think that we've got enough fasting days and prayer and commitment. I don't ever want you to think that just because we paid off our building, praise God that that's it. we got to do more than that. we got to go further than that. Did you know that Monday and Tuesday, five people were baptized in Jesus' name on Monday and on Tuesday? Five. five. That's not Sunday. We don't have church here on Sunday. We have church here on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And I hope somebody tomorrow and Friday and Saturday. Don't ever get comfortable thinking church is just going to happen on Sunday. I don't want it to happen on Sunday. I want it to happen at the, at the grocery store with you and somebody else. I want it to happen at Java Hode. I'm, I'm ready for people to speak in tongues in Java Hode. I already have. I didn't spill my hot chocolate. <laughs> I've ministered to so many people in Java Hope. We were sitting there crying. It's kind of odd, you know, a couple of guys crying over coffee. I think you can do that today. I don't know, maybe. Number two is the reason why we're desensitized is false teaching of prophecy. 
There's false teaching of prophecy. See, that's the transfer of real events into figurative formats. So the Bible becomes more figurative. It's an, it's an allegorical Bible. Of course, that's why people are desensitized. They think that Noah didn't really build an ark. There wasn't really a, a worldwide flood. There, there's not really going to be these things. Number three is media and entertainment's use of biblical themes. I was trying to look up biblical themes, just Googling biblical themes. Uh, Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon. I think it was about a mediator, a meteor, meteorite or something. They, you know, they have all these biblical themes. And Hollywood has used biblical themes because they've, they've got a catch. They've got a catch to them. And so it, when, we, when people read stuff or hear stuff in prophecy... Their minds say, well, I've already watched the movie. This this makes us desensitized to it. Um, The movie Noah, there's a movie out about Noah. I don't even know if that's the name of the movie. The movie is about Noah. It's it's full of false information. It's full of, it's not even even really a true story. It's got all kinds of, of foolishness in it. But people watch the movie Noah. They think, well, that's what happened. So instead of reading the Bible, that's what happened. And, and now they make it figurative because Noah's not really presented correctly. And, and, uh, and so what we've done is we, we're de- desensitized. Just know this, that the devil has used the Bible more than any Christian in this world. And he knows it from cover to cover. He's been studying it and he was there when it was written and he was there when it took place. He can quote it better than you, and he knows how to manipulate it better than you. Go see Genesis chapter 3. Number four, a convolution of information and routine. We're, we're filled with information and the routine of life. So it makes us desensitized. We, we got to get up tomorrow. We got a list of things to do. Hopefully, we got to make sure the grass is cut. We got to make sure the things are in order all the time, over and over and over and again. Instead, instead of looking for the Lord's soon return, we're busy about the cares of this life. The cares of this life. And we're not the only ones. In fact, possibly Brother Barber taught last week. Thank you, Brother Barber, by the way, for teaching last week. Thank you so much. Let's give Brother Barber a hand for teaching last week. Thank you. Maybe Brother Barber went over this with you, but one of, the, one of the things that Jesus was talking about was that they were called into the banquet, but they said, we got a lot of things to do. I've got to check on things. I've got to check on property. I've got, I've, I bought some new oxen. I bought something, and I've got to check on it. And so these routines desensitize our minds and our thoughts from the coming of the Lord. It's a wonder, maybe no wonder, why Job said, bring into captivity every thought of your mind. Bring it to captivity. Why? Because our minds wonder. Any, any given Sunday while I'm preaching, there's the, the, the report said that there's a, there's, a, there's a massive group of people in your church, like little bullet note to the pastor. There's a, there's a group of people. You've lost them. They're, not, they're looking at you, but they're looking right through you. They're thinking about other things. They're wondering what happened to the cubs. God love you. I feel your pain. Number five, it's just simple, a lack of teaching and understanding. There's a lack of it. Uh, the lack of teaching and understanding about prophecy is because that it's a, it takes a lot of work to get to it. 
We would rather preach chicken soup for the soul or Reader's Digest than, than to get into the word. Hear me. Hosea said it. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I'll reject you and you'll be no priest to me. You need to know. You need to have an answer. In fact, Paul even wrote, be ready to give an answer of anyone that asketh you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give an answer. You should be, you should be ready to give an answer. I have to be ready to give an answer. And the reason why we're desensitized to it is because we're not in the word. You've got to get in the word. The fallacy of relational biblical narratives. This is the fallacy of relational biblical narratives. Let me explain and you can write it in the margin. Here is the fallacy. The fallacy is this. That we have taken the Bible and made it a relational book to console us, to comfort our emotions. These are all relational biblical thoughts. That's true. That's not true. That's a lie. There is a real heaven and a real hell. The Bible is not just to make you feel good. The Bible is also to convict you, to put you on the straight and narrow, is to conform you. In fact, the word holy means set apart. If you want to be holy, you've got to be set apart. If we're supposed to be holy, as Jesus said, be ye holy, even as my Father which is in heaven is holy, then we've got to be set apart. That's why Paul said, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine it? The Bible convicts me. It bothers me. It speaks to my flesh and confronts my fleshly sinful desires. The Bible is not just meant to comfort me. But if you go to the Christian bookstores or the Christian websites, you probably will find 101 verses to build your faith, but you won't find 101 verses to convict you. That's the book I want to write. <laughs> Next bestseller. <laughs> oh, it's terrible of me, but it's true. See, I have to tell the truth while I'm standing here. Luke 18. Let me just give you a couple of verses here uh, because we have to, we have to Get our minds on the Lord. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Faith is the big subject. Will there be faith on the earth? 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. This is very important that we understand that if we're going to Be committed or become committed and flee from apathy and complacency. We have to continually look for him, love his appearing, keep the faith, be consistent. Hear me. When you do the right thing, I keep saying this, and you get the wrong results, keep doing the right thing. Don't be result driven. Keep doing the right thing. If you keep speaking the name of Jesus and the healing doesn't come, don't stop speaking the name of Jesus. If you tell everybody about the gospel and you are continually rejected, keep telling everybody about the gospel. If you keep coming to church and giving in your tithes and your offerings, returning, but you still are having money trouble, you keep on giving your tithes and offerings. When you do the right thing and you get the wrong result, you keep on doing the right thing. Because one of these days is going to break forth and God's going to show himself alive. And you don't want to miss that. 
When you pray for something and it doesn't come to pass, here, pastor, tonight, you keep on praying for it. And you be like that woman who went to that judge, the unjust judge. She... She got what she wanted, but not because he liked her and not because he esteemed God or man. But the Bible says, the judge said, because of your importunity, I couldn't get you to quit. I couldn't get you to give up. I couldn't ignore you enough. I just say to you, you keep on looking for the Lord. Come on, church. We cannot stop looking for the Lord. We got to love his appearing. We've got to be sensitive to the hour, the day, the time, the season. That we live in. Amen. amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Okay, now we're, we're kind of turning our hats around a little bit. And we're going to think together. This is just a little thinking session. Because I'm endeavoring to have smart people in the church. So we're going to all try to get smart together. If not, if not smart, at least we'll have a, some knowledge about the word. I'm giving you three general end-time prophecy thoughts as we kind of conclude our prophetic teaching here. And I'm certain I'll pick up more prophecy teaching in the future, but we're going to pause in it and let this five session with four of mine and one of Brother Barbara's kind of conclude this five-set series of eschatology. The first is the significance of the two witnesses. Maybe you didn't know there were two witnesses, but I'll show them to you here. I want to talk about the time of the Great Tribulation period and finally the nature of the Great Tribulation period. Now, there are no more fill-in-line blanks. So if you need to click your um, notebooks, you can do it at any time. However, <laughs> oh yes, there are. Hey, I got four more for you. Praise God. There's something to do. Um, I'd like to just read a little bit now and, and I'd like to just kind of cover a little scripture here before we move forward. Revelation chapter 11. I will give unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. You can write 1260 days next to that maybe 1260 days that's three and a half years if you're if you're doing the math or 40 months these are two olive trees two candlesticks standing for the lord now whenever you see olive trees or candlesticks these are images of revival this is, a, this is a, a revival type of analogy. And so what they're doing is they're bringing revival to the land. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. These two witnesses are powerful. They... They have done similar things or possibly they will now have this new power to do it. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them, kill them. This is the Antichrist. Their bodies shall lie in the streets of that great city. Of course, this is Jerusalem, which spiritually now is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Of course, now we know for sure this is Jerusalem. 
Why are their bodies going to lie there? I'll get to that in a moment. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their body. Now, if you look at that first line of verse 11, it's all of the people of the earth, the people, kindreds, tongues, and nations are going to see their bodies. There's only one way that can happen. It was not possible in 1900. It was not possible in 1925 or 1935. It was not even possible in 1970. And shall not suffer their bodies to be put in graves. Now this is very important. So let's just go back up into this, this arena of these two witnesses. First of all, who are the two witnesses? They're going to be in prophetic form. They're used of God. Now it, there are at least four possible candidates for the two witnesses. You can write this in your margins if you'd like. Elijah, Moses, Enoch, and John, the revelator. So let's go through Elijah. Elijah and Moses, uh, the common thought is that they did not die, that these witnesses had not died. Now this is a problem for Moses, although Moses is presumably the safest bet to be one of the witnesses. Not only has he already turned water into blood in the plagues, but he has done a number of things that would constitute plagues, namely calling those plagues from the sky, many of them in the, in the plagues that, that happened in Egypt. Moses then has this prominent place. He's also representative of the Old Testament. This is presumed member of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now we get that from another portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3 that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. This is the representatives of both the Old and New Testament. But on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was there, Elijah and Moses were there. Now we know Elijah was taken up that he did not die. We know that Moses was taken by God and that God buried him or put him somewhere. So this could have been a figurative speech. Enoch also went up and did not die. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and was not. So why would John, the revelator, be a possible candidate as one of the two witnesses? Well, they finally get to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is there as I have preached many times to you and the Lord has already prepared some fish and a small meal. The disciples climb out of the boat. They will visit with the Lord for a moment and Jesus turns to Peter and tells him what manner of death that he shall have for the Lord's sake. Peter turns and says, what about John? And Jesus says these words, what is it to thee if he tarry till I come? And the disciples murmured among themselves, read in your Bible, not now, that he did not die. The last known report of John is that he's trapped on the Isle of Patmos, surrounded by the great sea. He has a prison wall, the sea. That's why when John saw heaven, when he saw the heaven he was going to go to, do you know how he described it? He said, 
There's no more sea. We don't know who is uh, the first witness or the second, but many would say that Moses is one of the witnesses and Elijah. Enoch would probably be ruled out, but it could be John the Revelator. If you ask some of my elders, they'll tell you it's Elijah. If you ask other of my elders, they'll tell you it's John. Let me tell you about this scripture that we see and why it's important to know about these two witnesses. They will do great wonders. Their ministry will span three and a half years. We don't know really. There's some debate on when that ministry will be the first seven years. The first of this, uh, uh, half of the tribulation or the last half. There is a great debate over that. Of all the biblical readers that I have read now, they're all... Uh, in conflict, some of them saying at the beginning, some of them saying at the end, but all of them knowing that the Antichrist will kill them. They will lay their bodies on, leave their bodies on the streets for a Jew. The most humiliating thing you can do for a Jew is not bury them. They will leave those bodies on the streets of Jerusalem. The whole world will see that. How will the whole world see them killed and laying there? We know now the internet has reached into the deepest parts of all the known world. We know now through media, television, but television doesn't reach at all, but the internet reaches all parts of the world. Live feed can come through all parts of the world. We are now in a moment of time when two witnesses could rise up and preach and prophesy and be killed and lay on a street. And all of the kindreds and nations of the world, all the tongues, all the people could see that. You're living in that era right now. And they will be humiliated at the end. And they will all know that they have laid there. But they will rise again, the Bible says. They will be resurrected and they will preach again. And they will all be in awe of that. Those witnesses will wear particular clothing. They will be preachers. They will have sackcloth, which is, the, which is the clothing of repentance. It's the clothing of the prophet. They will be powerful. Now because we, we need to know a little bit about this, we need to talk a little bit about Daniel's 70th week. What does that mean? Because the tribulation period is Daniel's 70th week. We'll, we'll start from, from the time that it was prophesied and I may even have it on your, yes, if we go to Daniel chapter 9, I think it's on your, your next page down. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, and I'll read it to you. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Of course, a, a week is not seven days, but years. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to, the, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. And threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. This is pretty complex, isn't it? 
And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice. Now, what we've done is we've left the arena of the Messiah, the Prince, with a capital P. We've gotten to a small one, which is now the Antichrist. We're talking about the Antichrist, the people of the Prince that shall come. That's in verse 26. Now, this Antichrist, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is world peace. It's going to happen for one week. Now, that means seven years, one week. A time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. And I'll get to that in another portion of the scripture. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that a third temple will be built. And that third temple will be occupied by Jewish priests. And they will be sacrificing spotless lambs and a particular type of cow, a cattle, called we would know as a red heifer, if the Bible speaks of it. And that sacrifice, that oblation will cease because this, the Antichrist shall be able to go anywhere in the world. He'll be able to step into any government seat that he wants to step into. He will be controlling all kinds of economies and peoples and all military personnel for world peace. But there's one place he will not be able to go. He'll be able to go to the outer court, maybe to journey into a little bit of the inner court. But he will not be able to trans, transverse or transgress even into the Holy of Holies, but he will want to do that because that's the only place he's not allowed to go. He will kick out the priest, the Jewish priest, and he will make his own sacrifice on the altar. And when he does that, that's going to be called the abomination of desolation. That is when the sacrifice and the oblation stops. For the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. This is, a, this is now... The inception of the three and a half years. So let's, let's, first let's go back to Daniel's 70 weeks. It will begin Daniel's 70 weeks. This starts now. Daniel is determining this. This is a, this is now happening at the decree to build or rebuild Jerusalem in 444 BC. They are in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and then it begins. Right there. 69 weeks. 483 years until the Messiah comes and is killed. From that time that they go back to rebuild Jerusalem to the time that Jesus hangs on a cross is 69 weeks. Then comes a period of time that is undisclosed. It is the age of the church or the church years. The Lord is killed in AD, approximately AD 33. Jerusalem is, store, is destroyed in AD 70. The church is, is flourishing all the way up to this time. We already know now that almost 2,000 years now have passed. And at the end of that period of time, there will be the 70th week. 69 weeks or 483 years. And then this church age period, which we're living in. You're living in the age of grace. It's a phenomenal moment that we're living in. It's a dispensation of grace. But at the end of this time, tribulation will set in. Now tribulation, the beginning of tribulation is not torment. Torment doesn't happen until the middle of the 70 year, seventh year, uh, um, um, the seventh week, 70th week. Tribulation begins at the, at the middle point, the three and a half years. It'll all look good. Everything will look good. And then it'll all come down. And I will display some of that a little bit tonight. You're sitting right in it. We're sitting right in it. That the mark that the beast will present is 660 and 6. 6 is the, is the number of man. Why? Because 
We were created on the sixth day of creation. Six is the number of man. Six, six, six. We don't know exactly if that's the number or a sequence of numbers. Of course, there's been wild speculations about prophecy that because Nero's name, when you spelled out all of Nero's name, it came to be 666. Those people in that biblical times, even early times, may have thought that Nero could have been because they nicknamed him the beast because he killed his wife and killed his son and murdered many people. But, of course, Nero wasn't that. Many people tried to attribute, uh, attribute rather, leaders' names or the numbers, number of letters in their names. There was a moment where people actually thought that Ronald Reagan was the, was the Antichrist because his middle name also had six letters in it. I forget what his middle name was, but it was six. Ronald what? Wilson. Ronald Wilson Reagan. 666. And then other people thought it was Hillary Clinton. And then other people thought it was some other political figure. None of them is, is, is applicable. We, we've got kind of crazy ideas and thoughts. And everyone gets off on this stuff, but there will be a number. It'll be the mark. And you won't be able to buy or sell without taking that mark. It's not going to come and just jump on you and you just completely resist it. It's going to be logical. Because if you ever studied just technology, you'd know what RFID means. RFID is a small computer chip. It can store all kinds of locations. Have you ever lost your phone and you got a little app on someone else's phone called Find My Phone? Isn't that a cool thing? It starts to ding, ding, ding. Where's it at? Ding, ding, ding. And then you find it. It's in the couch. It's a GPS. RFID can hold all kinds of things. I mean... We have Amber Alert right now. If that Amber Alert went off, even if you had your phone on silent, it probably everybody's phone would just Amber Alert. We'd have to stop the song service. Why? Because Amber Alert, it's when, when a child is abducted, we're trying to figure out where they are. The RFID, the computer chip, is going to be the most logical, sensible thing you've ever heard of. Because all of your medical records could be put in that small chip. A GPS... There may be a time, I don't know, but there may be a time when, when babies are born that the government requires a tracking device under the skin of that baby so that no one can ever medicate that baby falsely or give them penicillin when they're allergic. No medical records will ever be lost because it's always going to be on your person. No one can ever steal money out of your bank account because it'll always be on your person. No one can take your identity or your numbers because it'll always be on you. You don't have to carry a purse or a wallet. You can just scan your wrist across a scanner and it's just immediately deducted. You'll never have to balance your checkbook. Your kids will never be kidnapped. Your medic medical records will never be lost. It's going to be sensible. It's going to be common. It's going to be logical. And the church has got to wake up and realize you're living in the last day. We're already doing that with our pets. You can put a chip under the skin of your pet and you know what house they're at right now and what dog they are biting. And what neighbor you have to go apologize to. Because you can have a GPS anywhere. How about the GPS that you know where your family is? You all have those? You know, if your kids have a phone or someone has a phone, you don't even have to wonder. You can always know. Just look on the map. It says TJ Maxx. You know somebody in your family is at TJ Maxx. I got other ways too. 
R-F-I-D. This, this is just one very small idea, one very small thing. We're living right in the time when all kinds of biblical prophecies, and you know what I'm dealing with as a pastor? People that are saying, well, I don't really know if I want to be committed, you know. The football game's going on Sunday night. Really? I'm going to tell you what, you're living in the last days of time. You should run to the church every time the doors are open. You should run to the altar every time the preacher gets done preaching. I don't care who's in the pulpit. You should give God all of your life. You should hold back nothing. You should get fanatical about the Lord. You should think the only thing I care about is getting to heaven. The only thing I care about is getting my heart right with God. If you see it in the Bible, you should be running after doing the Bible. You ought not to be saying, well, I don't know if that's necessary. I don't know if this, it's all necessary. I want to find out all about the Bible. I want to do it because I'm living. You're living in the last days of time. Don't get desensitized. Don't get desensitized. Well, you know, I, I, you know I, don't, I just don't like the way people treat me. Dear God, thank the Lord that you have a church to go to. And if nobody likes you at the church, don't quit coming to church. You're not coming for other people anyway. You're coming for the Lord. Now, I hope that there's love. And I hope that there's kindness. And I want there to be kindness. But I don't come just for kindness. I came to worship the Lord. I, and like the old songwriter we used to sing, I don't know what you came to do. I came to praise the Lord. I don't know. It's almost like a predetermined thought. This is what I'm coming. I'm coming to give. I love what JFK, our, our, our late president, said. We should not ask what our country can do, do for us. We should ask what, our, what we can do for our country. I wonder what happened. What would happen in the church if everybody had that mindset? I don't want the church to try to take care of me. I want to see if I can help somebody else. Hear me. If you're baptized in the Holy Ghost... You are commissioned to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You are commissioned to pray for one another. These are your brothers and your sisters. Amen. We can just get so apath. We can just get, listen, all of this stuff is happening right where we live. All of this, all of these things are happening right now where we live. All these, from the first lesson that I taught you, the perilous times, all of the things that are taking place, men will be lovers of their own selves. The effeminate, the proud, the boastful, the blasphemy, all of the malice and anger and wrath, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. There's never been as many earthquakes on the earth as, as there is right now today. You're living the very last of time. Positions are happening and world governments are taking place. There is a world court, a world banking system, a world judicial system. There is world currency being created. There's a world church being created. And we, we have no idea how close we are to the last times. But when it starts... Clock down has gone tick, 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 tick. And I'm, I'm grinding out this prophetic word just to give you the information, just to show you the information. Attributing this time frame of the tribulation period, the 70th week, we do not know when it will begin. Some surmise that it will begin when the, when the last temple is built. I've said this on a few occasions, and incidentally, uh, Brother Derek and I have been talking about this. We were hoping maybe go to Greece next year and walk in the footsteps of Paul, but in one of those areas, you have to get into Turkey, and while it's open right now, it sometimes it's closed, and the president is not as kind, uh, so we thought we would just forego that and go back to Israel. So if you're interested in going to Israel, then talk to me or Brother Derek and and we'll see if we have enough people that are interested in going to Israel uh, a year from now. Um, when we went to Israel the, 
my first time to Israel, we went down into the, um, uh, the temple institute. It was just a small room. It was almost nothing. We kind of walked through the street and then went down a set of stairs into a, like almost a little dungeon area. There was just a few folding chairs down there and someone came out and gave us a little lecture. Now today that the Temple Institute is a very beautiful building and there's replicas and things that are being made for the third temple right now. Jacob and I were there. We were sitting together hearing the display. In fact, when we got done, we asked about a few things and even the guy was showing us all of these things that they were making. The golden candlestick. I saw that golden candlestick a few years ago. It's massive, this massive golden candlestick. It's six foot high and the wingspan of it is phenomenal. They're creating all of this. Some people believe that the tribulation period will come when the third temple is being built. We do not really know it could come even before that. But there will be a negotiation on the Temple Mount. If you go to the Temple Mount today, down below here, the Jews control this western wall. But up above that, on the other side, there's a, a beautiful new ramp that's been put up. And you walk through some gates and then there are two big mosques there. It's the second most holy place besides Mecca. And so, so the Muslims own this area and the Jews down here. And in almost all of Jerusalem, the Jews and the Muslims get along very, very well. In fact, all the major religions get along very well in Jerusalem. There's just some antagonist outside in the West Bank, but not inside the city. Except when you go to those areas because... They have two different religious spots and they do not want to share. But the Antichrist is going to negotiate that. And he's going to bring everybody together so that the Jews have a temple now. And it's going to be built again. We don't know when the tribulation period is going to begin. But we're on the brink of it. The premise of it. And we're looking right at it. But when it unfolds after the Antichrist makes the sacrifice in that third temple. Things are going to unfold. Maybe I should say unravel. And there are multiplicity of things that are going to take place. There are judgments that are going to occur, and I'm just going to explore a few of those judgments with you tonight. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to explore those judgments, but not, but not in length. There's a seal that will be opened, broken there are four horsemen the Bible talks about. They are associated with the seals. And the Bible speaks of these things. Revelation chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Behold, a white horse, he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Many people have tried to figure out who this is, and in, in most respects, conventional wisdom would say this is the Antichrist that's riding on that first white horse. We're, we wouldn't argue that point too much, except that it could be a spirit, and that spirit is also found in other places in the book of Daniel. The same imagery is there. And that imagery is, is that of, of what has occurred in that white horse. Now that white horse is not the Messiah, but this is a, this is a spiritual 
uh, attribute associated with and some would attach that spirit or could attach it as Catholicism. Catholicism. Uh, uh, the Catholic Church really had its origin about 300 years after Jesus was born. It really birthed itself about 300 years. And for the early parts, the popes did not wear any crown, but it took a couple hundred years, but then they all wore a tiara crown on their head, even to this day. Um, the second seal was then broken, and another horse is presented. This horse is a red horse. It's the horse of war. The great wars of the world are also have a spirit attached to them, the red horse. Now, if you see in the white horse, you're always going to see the Pope wearing white. This is a symbolic or a, or a gesture of purity, that he is pure. The Pope is called the echo of Christ. That means whatever the Pope says, he's only echoing what Jesus Christ has said. The Catholics believe that whatever the Pope says, it's what Jesus is saying or what has already said. And so the Pope gets the privilege to reinterpret or to interpret the words of Jesus Christ without rebuttal and without verification of the Bible or any other writings. And so John Paul II um, was pretty much in line in conservative thought in the, in, in, in the Catholic Church, but the new Pope Benedict is not so. The second horse and the second seal, there's things attached to that. There's power given to that. They're taking peace from the earth, that spirit to kill, and a great sword is there. That spirit could be the spirit of communism. Three great communistic countries that existed over the ages of time. Communism is now a very great spirit. These are ideas or spirits in the earth. The third seal has a black horse. If you read of the black horse... Um, he who sat on this horse had a pair of balances in his hands. It's a, it's, a, it's a bartering system. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny, a three measures for a barley. It's giving and taking. It's, it's what we know today as capitalism. The attaching spirit is capitalism. This is the other great concept. But in capitalism also comes famine. And then finally, there's the pale horse. Now, the pale horse is not pale, but it's green. In fact, in the Greek, the word would, would attribute itself to green. I still have sound. And that was not really to scare you, but it's a great prophecy speaking illustration. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wish I'd have got to that point, like where my height, he's coming back. Oh. Mm -hmm. Bad timing. So this horse is a green horse. And of course, many preachers have gotten this wrong. However, if you, if you listen to some of the prophetic preachers, John Hagee has a really good, and Irvin Baxter Jr. has a very good takes on these. In fact, they're very similar, even though those, those two men come with different, from different um, uh, theological differences. Uh, they, they come to the same conclusion of the green horse. The, you would call it pale, but, but that's just because there was no uh, 
there was no trans, uh, translation or the word was not, could not be translated correctly into the English, but it would be green. And no, it's not, it's not money. Uh, in fact, some of our colloquialism, some of our sayings, uh, green with envy, they, they, they were, they're, they're confined to the English language and then even the modern English language. Some, some of that is not even, that was created in the 1900s. So somewhere in the 1850s, 1880s, it's not green with envy. No, that, no, that particular uh, emblem is, is also a thought in the earth. It's a thought. And that thought is Islam or Islamic thought. Islamism is a thought. And if you go anywhere and see any of the, of the colors of Islam, you're always going to know that the, the main colors is green. Um, Yes, there are black, and ISIS has a black flag, but, but the Islamism uh, is, a, is always used in, in, in a green manner. And so when you read about it, it even makes more sense. Now, what I say in your handout is the attaching spirit could be because I want to leave some room open for clarification, but there's enough, um, uh, there's enough uh, facts and, and data to support it. Because what sat on him was death and hell followed him. The power was given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, with the beasts of the earth. This is an incredible thing that approximately 1.6 billion Muslims today live in the world. And out of the 7 billion people that we believe to be in the earth today, 1.6 billion of them is the population of Islam. And of course, we know there is a Revival happening, um, happening among the Muslim population. There is a revival. There's an underground church in multiple Middle Eastern countries going on right now. There's, a, there's an incredible underground church taking place right now. You would not believe it. You, you, we, some of our missionaries cannot be reported. They cannot speak about what's happening. They cannot give letters. They cannot call back. But they are in those areas and and some of those countries we have to be very very careful there are pentecostal apostolic people in those countries reaching the muslim population it's phenomenal it's a phenomenal thing as sister kendra spoke about sunday night there is a reverence for the apostolic woman in the muslim community there is a reverence for her whenever that apostolic woman goes into the muslim community they have they immediately recognize something is different with this american figure she's not a european she she has a respect about her and so this is happening around the world but there is a spirit within that uh, within that community and that spirit does attach itself to young men and they are inundated with ideas that if they commit uh, a jihad or if they commit a, a crime uh, of passion against the infidel, that they would have 72 dark-eyed virgins in heaven, that this would be their, their, their glory. This is what their reward would be. And so that's a spirit attached to that, to make war. Uh, we, we're, we're watching all these things take place, and so... And so scholars are looking into these concepts as, as the last days. What will it be? Now, what I haven't put down, a spirit that I haven't put down, is a spirit of religion. 
that's afflicting the United States of America. It's in a great affliction to the United States of America. And the American ideas are very proud. We have become a very arrogant nation. We even believe ourselves to be above prophecy. That There's three different ideas uh, that have been debunked uh, and, and been refuted very clearly that America is in prophecy. The only remaining images of America being in prophecy is that, is that the prophet saw a nation as an eagle uh, or attached to a lion and the wings broke off and stood up like a man. We are the only country that have two uh, representations of that. We have, we've had Uncle Sam from our inception and we have the American eagle. And, but we're not the only country that's had the American eagle. Also, Germany represents itself by an eagle also. Maybe more of a black eagle, but America's had the bald eagle. So we take some solace in that, that maybe we're above, uh, above affliction. And the wing of the eagle will cover Israel for a period of time. Later on, the, the wing is gone. And so all prophecy teachers will tell you that it's, it's, highly probable in all of their opinions that America will collapse. If you look at history, you'll find out that even Rome, the great country, the great empire of Rome, rather, collapsed because it had games 365 days of the year and it had sexual immorality 365 days of the year. And that is exactly where America is. If you read the book, The 5,000 Year Leap, it's a very complex and big book. But if you ever get a hold of it, you'll learn about natural law. We are leaving all the natural law. There is such conflict in America. There's, there's racial tension in America. There's political tension in America. There's economic tension and status in America. America is ripping itself apart in so many different ways. Even as I speak tonight, their people are, their brains are convoluted and people are angry at things. They're spending all their energy. I, I, I ask you just wait a few weeks from now and read the bulletin. You'll find out what I'm talking about. But I, because I wrote it, I wrote it yesterday and the Lord moved on me. It won't be in your bulletin this Sunday, but, but it's going to be there. I just want you to know. Keep your mind focused on the Lord. Remember, this house is the representation of what America should look like and should be like. We are the place where people should come to feel loved, safe, and secure. Hear me. If you want a safe space, we should put out in the sign, New Life Fellowship is a safe space. If you need help, New Life Fellowship... It's a place where people can get help. If you want to be restored, if you want to find love and acceptance, this is the house where it's going to take place. The tragedy of our country is that we, we have a spirit of religion. So everybody's religious. So I believe in God. We have now spiritualized things. And now people say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the Bible. I believe in a higher power, but I don't go to church. Some people even say they're spiritual. What does that mean? I don't, I'm just spiritual. I'm a spirit being. I see good. I understand spiritual things. They're not, it's not using the same thing as you're spiritual. They're spiritual in a very... Bizarre and outlandish way. Pantheism. I don't, I don't want to get down that road. Pantheism is, is a massive movement even now today. The, the adoration and, and worship of the earth and all things therein. That's pantheism. It's, it's, it's very prevalent today in America. We have a spirit of religion. 
And the spirit of religion rejects authority, rejects the Bible, it it, it rejects all kinds of convictions. There are no boundaries or borders or limitations because we're all spiritual, we're all religious, we all believe in God. I would just submit to you, don't think that America is going to last forever. You better not put your faith in your IRA or your pension. Don't put your faith in the government, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what political persuasion or flavor you like. Don't put your faith in any government official or any, any institution of this world. I'm going to tell you, it's all going to come down. Oh, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. I'm as sure as I'm standing here right now. Your faith has got to be in Jesus Christ alone. I hope you go vote. But I want you to know the greatest vote you could ever cast in your life is to say I'm with the Lord seven days a week, 24 hours a day. My heart is around the Lord. One thing if I desire to the Lord and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I'm going to start me a campaign that's going to say vote Jesus. How about that? Get some bumper stickers somebody. There's seals that are open up. There's the martyrs in heaven. I don't have time to go through it. There's devastation. The, seven, the seventh seal is actually the opening up of seven different trumpets. Blood, hail, fire, a third of vegetation is going to be destroyed in the earth. This is the last half of the time of tribulation. Fire, a fireball is falling from heaven. A third of the oceans are going to be polluted. There's a falling star. One third of the sun, moon, stars are darkened. Joel prophesied the sun... We'd be dark and the moon turned into blood. There's demonic invasion. You don't want to be here. Horrible demons are going to come out of the earth. And they're going to roam the earth. Great torment. A demonic army. The sixth tr- One third of mankind is going to be killed. Can you imagine? The seventh trumpet is going to be the announcement of the Lord's reign. The kingdom is going to be here. Amen. There's a thousand more things to say. And I'll leave them all for another time. I just, I think you ought to know that when I stand up and tell you that the Lord's coming back, I'm not filling time or turning a phrase. When I get up and preach that the Lord is coming back, I'm thinking about all of this right here that I just taught you. I'm not just repeating something I heard when I was a child. I'm believing and knowing the Lord is coming back because I see it in the sky. I see it in the earth. I see the earth groan. I see the people pray. I'll tell you what I would do if I was a young, a young father, a young mother. I'll tell you what I would do if I had babies. I'd make sure those babies were in church. I know what this is. Listen, we've, we've been through, because we had four. I don't know why we had four. We kind of wish we had five. It was, it was getting, just getting fun. Kind of lost our mind. We know there's a period of time, there's a season. You don't feel connected because you're changing diapers and you got screaming kids and there ain't enough Cheerios in your little cup to shove in their little mouths while the preacher's going on. You're rocking them. You're standing in the back. You're in and out of the church. You kind of want to you kind of, you don't want to disturb anybody. You think, why do I even go to church? I'm just taking care of my baby. I'll tell you why. Because you got to come to church. Because you got to be in the house. And if the bulk of your time in the house on Sundays is in the nursery, 
turn on the video in the nursery. Incidentally, I'd like for everyone to stop camping out in the foyer while the church service is going on. Is this the right time to say that? I'm going to put you on notice right now. Anybody who's in the foyer while I'm preaching, I'm going to get me a video of you. You watch me, I'm going to watch you, I'm going to put the microphone down, I'm going to go out there and ask you to come in. You either come to church or you go home. We get, we, listen, we ain't got time to mess around. I'm not up here playing games. We got to have a move of God. And the very people that hang out in the foyer, you need a move of God for your life. Stop being a lobby lizard. Now I heard that's a bad term. I just, I don't, I just, I'm just using it as our lobby. I want you to be in the house. Things are happening in the house. I got people that can't come to church and they're watching online and they would love to come to church but they're shut-ins and they can't get here and their bodies are, 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 are not working correctly and they're texting me and they're writing me and they're telling me, Pastor, I love the sermon. I wish I could get to church. Hear me. Get in this room on Sunday night. I'd like to see a couple more hundred people here on Sunday night. Why? Because the Lord's coming back. I'd like you to get involved in a ministry because the Lord's coming back. Do you know there's only three ways I know that you're part of the church? There's only three ways. First, because you come. I've, I've met some people in town. It's been a few years ago. I was at the grocery store. We started talking. I said, well, hey, what, what church do you worship in? They said, I go to East Glen New Life Fellowship. I said, wow, me too. Uh-huh. What's up? I don't know. Maybe they're sitting on the front row. I'm too short. They can't see me over the pulpit. I don't know. Come on, man. You can't say that you belong to New Life. You never come to the church. You can tell me all, all day long you're a member of the church. You're not a member of the church. You're a member of the church because you come to church. That's why I don't give out cards, membership cards. I'll tell you how you get your card. You get your card after you're a member for a long time. And if you ain't got your card yet, you ain't come long enough. <laughs> Next year. Here's another way I know that you're part of the church. Because you serve. Because there's a difference between a sponge and a server. <laughs> give me, 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 give me. Hey, come on. I want you to be involved somewhere. Do something. Teach a Sunday school class. Love God. If you can sing, see if you can join the choir. If you don't sing, clap in the pew and find somebody else. There's a kitchen ministry. There's a parking lot ministry. There's a children's ministry. There's a maintenance ministry. Thank God we got people every Monday picking up all kinds of stuff that people leave on Sunday. You got to serve somewhere. Do something. There's a lot of stuff to do. Do something. You can write letters and cards to people and just say, just want you to know I love, we love you. Sign New Life Fellowship. As long as you can spell sign New Life Fellowship. You can even put my name on it if you like. Wait, don't do that. Wait, just come and t talk to me. Maybe we should. I'll give you some cards. And the third thing is that you give. Mm -mm -mm -mm. That's the only way I know that you're a part of the church. Because you, you give. 
I found out if you want to be a part of the Moose Club, you got to pay dues. This ain't the Moose Club. And it's in the Bible. Now, if you want to argue with that, listen, I got to have room. We got to have room because we're going to have us a revival of people who are hungry. I'm going to have time for people who want to soak up everything and give nothing and want me to give everything. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm 50 years old. I got three more months to be 50. We ain't got time to mess around. I'm almost done. I only have a few years left. I'm counting down the days. I'm looking for some hungry people that come, serve, and give. I want Bible studies. I want prayer. I want investment. I want love. Why? Because the Lord's coming back. Because the Lord's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to ride a white horse. His vesture is dipped in blood. There's a flame of fire shooting out of his mouth. And the word was in his mouth. His eyes are like fire. His hair is white as snow. His, his name is written on his vesture. And his name is the greatest name. Because God hath given him a name which is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every tongue's going to confess. Every knee's going to bow. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father as sure as I'm standing here the Lord is coming back that's why I got to preach the whole counsel of God and I'm looking for a born again church a called out people a devoted house hear me everybody we ain't got time to mess around we got to get on board we got to get in the church we got to be a part of the bride of Christ he's coming back he's coming back he's coming back oh come on somebody shout it out to God now Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. Okay. Praise God. The Lord's good. Everybody stand now with me. It's going to be a good day in this house on Sunday. The Lord's going to grant us peace. Holy Ghost. Two of our little girls received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues at the altar. Two little girls got the Holy Ghost. I think Annalise was one of them. Am I right? Annalise and Gia. I saw little Gia at the very front, my great niece at the very front of the, and she had one hand clenched to her side. The other hand she had up and she was mumbling something. Her eyes were closed. She looked serious. I turned to my daughter. I said, Alexandra, I think Gia is praying for the Holy Ghost. Allie said, I'll take care of this. She went over. Because Allie, ain't no frills. We're either busy or we're not busy. She got over there with Gia and said, you want the Holy Ghost? Boy, she started speaking in tongues. No one taught her anything. Just out of the baby's mouth, she starts speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. That's what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. That's what happened in chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 19. That's what Isaiah was writing about. In Isaiah 28, 10, 11, he said, And with another tongue will I speak to this people. With stammering lips, he said, in another tongue. I'm going to speak to this people. It's going to be the reward of our lives. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Clean our hearts, purify us, make us holy and right. We, we cannot be holy without you. All of our human effort is laid to waste. But Lord, make us holy like you're holy. Help us to be set apart. Looking for your soon return. Draw our attention towards you. And help us to be committed 
to your cause and to your kingdom and to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that we know. And we ask you for your favor, your help, and your spirit. And we pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.